And today, as we continue in the book of Mark, we're in Mark 8, and we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at Jesus talking to his disciples about this very question. Who are, who am I to you? And it's a fundamental question because there's going to be four questions that come up, four questions that are relevant to any disciple that we are faced with in 2023 to ask ourselves as well. And, you know, I was just doing a baptism class and part of it uh, beforehand, there's five young people getting baptized. Praise God. All right. Like the Lord's moving, right? And so there's some good stuff that's happening. And this question was first, I said, tell me about um, your decision to get baptized. My question was, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? There's a lot of content that's going to go here, but we're going to talk about this together. And, and one of these questions is going to stand out to you. And, and, and I don't know which one it is, but my, my challenge for you is to think about these four questions and throughout the week journal or think about one of the questions that I'm going to bring up and that Jesus is going to pull out of his disciples. Okay, so let's jump in there. Mark 8, 27. Jesus and his disciples went out of the villages around Caesarea Philippi. Okay, we're going to stop there. There's so much significance in this one little statement, okay? So what is happening here? Jesus just uh, healed a blind man, and he's in a small town, uh, Bethsaida, and this village is located on the top of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, and this is a place that has a ton of significance. He did a lot of uh, miracles. It's like up there with Jerusalem and Capernaum. All right, there's miracles that are happening. Uh, this is also a place where he called out some of his disciples, and so this is a place that he's familiar with. There's significance to this, and he's going to travel 25 miles north to another place of significance, but significance for another reason. He's going to go up to this beautiful place called Caesarea Philippi. And it's this beautiful place with these picturesque mountains. I'll pull it up, Gabe. But these picturesque mountains, as you'll see, this is very uh, unique to uh, Israel. And so there's this, this beautiful mountain there at the base of it. And this area is incredibly beautiful because there's a large spring that feeds the Jordan River. And so there's a spring that feeds it. And whenever there's springs, there's lush, beautiful places. All right, so there's, there's lots of life and there's lots of plants and there's a lot of uh, different things going on. It also, because of its beauty, became a place where people like to do religious worship. This is a place where it had religious significance. This was a place where worship was happening. And so what we see is there's a lot going on in this region. And so as he's heading there, the first thing you need to know is that King Jeroboam, uh, he led the people into uh, to idolatry. So the Israel king, this is the area where he led people into idolatry. He built uh, shrines in high places here. And he basically, 1 Kings 12 tells us that he built these shrines and he appointed priests that weren't Levites. He's like, any common man can be these. And he changes the holy days. He changes the way that they worship. He changes uh, the, the, the way that God intended it to be and makes it a man-made religion. And so there's significance within the Jewish context here, but there's a lot more going on at the same time because there's other things that are going on. We see that the Canaanites, they built a, a, a sanctuary for Baal there. And so there is actually a, 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 a many different temples that are going on in this area. Matter of fact, there's multiple ones. There was a, a, a large cave 
there that had the center of all pagan worship. So there is this thing that was the cave of Pan is what it says. And so you might be asking yourself, who is Pan? Who's the God of Pan? Well, it's a half man, half goat. Uh, let's pull this up. Uh, that's supposed to be represent fright. For some reason, he plays a flute. I don't know why if this really frights, frightens you, but this was the pagan god of, well, I don't know. This is a modern description of it, but this was the god of Pan. And, and what we see is that Greeks and Romans built sanctuaries around this cave because they wanted to worship Pan. And what they thought was Pan was actually this fortune teller. He would tell the future. And so they would make sacrifices to this god. And so wait, there's more. We also see that the cave of Pan, let's pull that up, the cave was actually a, a hole in this mountain that was thought to be the, the place for the pagan gate of Hades. This is where they thought the gate of Hades, the, the god of the underworld, the god of death. And so there's this Greek god that uh, in the cave was Hades' place. It was the entrance to the underworld. So there is a lot going on there. So this 25-mile journey, symbolically, Jesus is going to announce something significant. And the disciples would have known where they are going. So there's not, not significance in the place that they're going. And he is going to ask the disciples these questions, these four questions he's going to kind of pull out of them. And what he's going to see is that he's claiming lordship over the pagan world, and he's, he's, he's claiming uh, lordship over the Jewish world as well. He is showing this is the significance of who I am. I love that we picked Great Are You, Lord. I love that we picked that song because what we're doing is we're declaring no matter what it looks like out there, no matter what it looks like in our hearts, great are you, Lord. And Jesus is saying, great am I. I'm just going to tell you how great I am, all right? For us followers of the way, we have to understand that Jesus takes precedence over everything. And he's going to declare by saying this, walking there, that he takes precedence over kings. He takes precedence over nature. He takes precedence over false gods and false worship over all of it. Jesus is going to take claim, all right? We're all on the same page here. There's symbolic uh, representation here. And so we see this on the way to this place. Jesus asked this first significant question. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. So it's clear that Jesus knows that he is misunderstood at this place. All right. At this point, he knows that he's misunderstood. And, and the disciples answer this general thought. So there's a lot of crowds around him, right? So it seems that the multitudes, there's a, a murmur of who he is. And so some people thought he was John the Baptist, who was just killed, brought back to life. Some people thought he was Elijah. Elijah was brought up to heaven. So it's like just God sending him back down, right? We know that. Or other prophets, whatever it is. So there's a lot of talk. And so, so he said, the, the disciples say, this is who people say you are. We also know that there's an underlining question there, which we talked about last week, which is the religious leaders would have viewed him as demonic. I mean, they would have been straight up. The religious leaders had their own opinions of who he was. And so they're answering this question. And we see that there's a lot of different thoughts going on on who Jesus is. Now, let's not be ignorant because this is a question that we are asked as well. Who does the world think Jesus is? 
we're actually faced with it a lot. Matter of fact, this morning I've had two conversations where people are put in positions where they're trying to figure out how do we tell the world who Jesus is in a very difficult context. Amen? Who is Jesus? Because there's a lot of questions going around. Some think he's a good teacher. He's a good dude. He's my homeboy. Maybe some think he's probably just a prophet or others say, I don't think he really even existed. This is all stuff that is going around. Now, what's interesting is that I always think it's interesting that the same human, human condition never changes. The same questions that were happening back then are happening to us today. This next generation, young people, listen to me because you're going to be faced with it more. Who does the people say that Jesus is? Because it's going to get wrapped in misinformation. And what we see is it's wrapped in misinformation here. Even in a place where, where communication doesn't really travel very fast, it's clear that there's enough miscommunication that the disciples are saying, well, actually, there's a lot of things that people say. I was, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. I'm going to freak everyone out. But I've been watching a lot on uh, artificial intelligence. If you know, one of my giftings is I'm a futurist. I love to think about where the world's going. It's also scary in some ways. And I was li- watching this video. I will not send it around. Uh, but there's a, 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 a guy who's basically talking about the psychology of AI. Now, one of the big fears is a Terminator fear. The Terminator that we're going to create these robots and the robots are going to turn on us and we're all doomed, right? That is a scary thought. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm, there's a lot of coffee shops that are starting robot coffee shops. Have you seen this? They make a great cup of coffee. I don't know how a coffee shop robot's going to turn on me, but it might happen, all right? So you, you got to be afraid of that. Or you don't have to be afraid of that, but that's something to be aware of. I'm freaking everyone out right now. Kind of pour hot water on you like a robot arm. <laughs> but what's really what he says is the bigger issue is this, that misinformation, because AI is a communication. If you haven't played with AI, it's a communication. And misinformation is going to travel at warp speed. And what happens is when misinformation happens at warp speed, actually society cannot exist. If everyone is questioning truth, it might create some sort of anarchy and some sort of like, like just unsustainable society. Okay, I just freaked everyone out. Here's the good news. Misinformation was happening back then and misinformation is happening today. Now here's the bad news, all right? This next generation, I'm speaking directly. This is like my young group. Abby, you can come in this circle. Uh, no offense to everyone else. Now what we see is that the noise around us and misinformation is going to travel at light speed. So what we have to be ready for church is we have to be ready to share the truth way faster than we are right now. Way, way faster than we are right now. We have to share authentic truth. We have to love and speak truth and love. And we have to figure this out. The problem being is that the world is moving at warp speed and the church is kind of anemic if we're just being completely transparent. I'm just going to call it out. Who does the world say I am? This is a question that all of you are going to have to face. Who does the world say I am? Now what we see is that we have to be on fire. We have to spread the truth. It's exactly where the enemy wants us if we're not. But what we see is that he really doesn't care about what the general opinion is. He's using this to set up the disciples. So he really... Jesus knows what the general consistency is about him. He's now asking, what do you think? Who do you think Jesus is? This is an important question in this room 
we could answer it a lot of different ways. I want to also be very clear on you that the world is pushing a false narrative about religion right now. At the same time, the American church has been pushing a false narrative of who Jesus is. I want to be very careful when I say this. We can have the self-help Jesus, right? Like this is just self-help. He's going to help with my relationship. He's going to be there when I need him. We can have the... Uh, we can have the uh, health, wealth, and prosperity view of Jesus, right? We can have the genie in the bottle Jesus. Like when I need him, I know that I can just, I can just get here and I'll get the answer. The Spirit of the Lord will speak to me. We have the genie in the bottle one. We also have the most dangerous one, which this is what I want to speak to everyone on. Supplemental Jesus. A supplement to my life. Just something to add to my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I need to do to achieve. I'm going to do what I need to build the life that I want. I'm going to do what I want to live out my dreams. And Jesus is there right by my side. Jesus is right there by my side. But here's the deal. Jesus is not an additive to your life. And the challenge is, is that you are, myself included, putting myself, are way more influenced by this way of thinking than you may know. And it's something that we have to be on guard with because he's going to ask this, who do you say I am? Mark 8, 29 through 30. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned him not to go and tell anyone about him. There's an emphasis here in the Greek on you. On you. Who do you? He's saying, I have chosen you and I have trained you. Who do you think I am? And Peter, like always Peter, he's the spokesperson. He's like ready to go. He's like, you are the right answer. You are the Messiah. In Greek, it's translated to Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the one who fulfills all of God's promises. And what he's saying is this revolutionary statement. He's saying the Messiah is more than a human being. You are actually God himself. And Peter is not acknowledging Jesus' deity as the son of the living God. And the disciples have come to this conclusion because they've seen Jesus' miracles and they've seen his teaching. He is the Messiah. Okay? So they're going to answer the right thing. Now, it's really interesting. And this is kind of a side note, and I'm going to not go too much into this. But the same story is told in Matthew. And I want to make sure that we share this because Mark doesn't record this. But in Matthew 16, 17, we see Jesus' response beyond just not don't say anything he says blessed are you simon son of jonah for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood but by my father in heaven and i tell you that you are peter and on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hades will not overcome it i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven then he ordered the disciples again not to tell anyone that he was the messiah Peter is blessed by this right answer. He, he, he's like, Jesus, you are the Christ. But note, Jesus is like, you did not get this on your own. You did not get it. All of us have come to the acknowledgement of Jesus through not our own, but through the Lord speaking to us, right? The Father in heaven revealed it to him. And what we see is that Peter was living up to his name. His name means rock, right? We see that. Jesus was given this new name. And so Simon 
would have been Peter, which is, means rock. And so Peter was strong like a rock, but Jesus added that on this rock he would build his church, it says. And there's a debate on this subject. So I'm just going to just talk about it, but then we're going to look at what the significance is for us. Many scholars say that Jesus is now building his church on himself, right? This is the statement. Uh, others say that the, the, that the church is built on Peter and the apostles are the foundation. That's what he's saying. Still others say that the church is built on Peter's testimony. So Peter's testimony is going to feed the church. But what we see is that Jesus, no matter what, is the head of the church and is the foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is jesus christ and so he's saying you got this right peter when talking to peter he's saying i will build future tents my church here is the beginning of what we are experiencing today something is getting set into motion in this conversation he's going and walking to the gates of hades and he's going to say we are going to start something future tense in the church. This is a big statement. What we are experiencing at Redeemed Church is because of this statement, okay? This is what we are experiencing. Jesus knows this. He's setting into foundation what we are experiencing. This is not some simple, oh no, the heat's too cold or the heat's too hot or the sheet seats are too uncomfortable or the seats aren't comfortable enough or the light's not right or whatever. This is what he's saying. He's walking up to the gates of Hades and he's saying, I'm going to start the church. And the foundation is, this is the answer that I am the Messiah. Amen. He's going to this place with natural caves that portray the underworld. And he's telling his disciples, this is how powerful the kingdom is. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. He's saying the forces of death and darkness, not even close. They cannot and will not prevail against the establishment and growth of his church. He's walking up there and he's saying this significant thing. This is where we should be cheering. But sometimes we back down. Because of this, Jesus is a supplement to my life. Jesus is the genie of the bottle in my life. Jesus is here where somehow I'll get more wealth or some political power or some uh, notoriety. But he's saying, no, I'm the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. And I'm setting into motion a church that's going to represent that. All right. Then he's going to ask this question. And he doesn't ask the question, but the, the question gets asked. What does this really mean? So what does this really mean? Because it's really interesting because Peter answers correctly, but he doesn't actually answer correctly. So we're going to see this. You see, Peter has the right answer. He says, Peter says, you are the Messiah. The Greek translation again is Christ, literally meaning the anointed one. But in Judaism, priests and prophets and a lot of people were anointed. But this is a special anointing. When he says you are the anointing one, it is somebody who was thought of to have political and national aims. And so this is like when he says you're the Messiah, there's a ton going on when he says that. And so he's saying you, uh, the Messiah is going to come and liberate Israel from the Romans. So Peter does not fully understand what it means. So it's important because it'll make sense what happens next. Mark 8, 31 through 33. 
He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine? But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And he said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus is introducing to the disciples a new element of God's kingdom, one that they are not prepared for. When Peter says you are the Messiah, he's like, we're taking this by force and we are going to overcome the Roman government. Let's go. But instead, we see that Jesus says, I'm actually going to suffer I'm actually going to be rejected, and I'm actually going to be killed. And not only am I going to be killed, but I'm actually going to have to rise again. And this does not fit into Peter's understanding. When he's saying, who do you think I am? Peter has the right words for it, but he's not the right meaning. And so he's like, I'm going to rebuke you because I actually have it figured out maybe a little bit better. And Jesus is going to rebuke him. And so Jesus is like, Wait a second. And Peter calls him Satan. Now, read this not as a proper noun. Read this as adversary. Like you are against, you are speaking against what I am trying to do. And so what we see is that he presents Jesus with the same temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness. This is the same temptation that Jesus always has on his life to use his anointing, to use his power, and to use his authority to assume political and revolutionary power. This is the temptation that Christ has. We see that Peter was setting his mind on the things of men, the way that they had interpreted it and the way that they had thought about it instead of the ways of God. The way of the cross, the way that God's will was going to come into fruition and Jesus refused to abandon it. He had the choice multiple times and he refuses to abandon it. Now we have to note here, Jesus understood his divine destiny. He understood what's going on. And if we are disciples and we believe that he is the Messiah, we have to know what the Messiah means. And the Messiah is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the head of everything. And yet in the same person, we see that he suffered, that he was a servant, that he laid down his life, that he was willing to die for each one of us. So we get that all squared away. And then the next question comes, and this is the fun one. This is where I hope everyone takes notes because this is where it gets fun, okay? This is all just fun and games for me. How does this affect you? He's then going to speak to this question. How does this affect you? Who does the world say I am? Now, who do you say I am? Now, let me tell you what that really means because you need to understand this because this is actually going to affect you. The question is this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, it. but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? 
Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Notice this. He's speaking to the disciples. He's saying, who do you think the world, who does the world think I am? And he's saying, who do you think I am? I'm going to tell you what it really means. And then he calls the whole crowd. So when he calls the whole crowd, he's not just speaking to a select disciples that you're going to have to suffer. He's speaking to us. He's speaking to us. Jesus has just revealed his own suffering and he explains a major quality that you will have to have to be a disciple. This is going to be fun. I wish I had better news for you, but it's clear that Jesus is saying there is a cost to discipleship. There is a cost to discipleship. Taking one's own cross and following him. John 15, 20. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. If the master has a cross, so will his followers. To be a disciple, if you don't take anything out of this sermon, it's this one thing. To be a disciple is self-denial and faith in Christ. That is our identity. That is our identity. Now, I also want to make sure this could be one of the most misused lines in all of scriptures. Because it can be read really this like stoically accepting the things that just kind of stink about your life. Like, oh, I got a hangnail. This is the cross that I bear. Or my mother-in-law's in the audience, so uh, this is not true for me. But, oh, my mother-in-law, it's the cross that I bear. You know, these like life circumstances that everyone's faced with. And it's the cross that I bear. We lessen this when we say stuff like that, okay? We lessen stuff when we say stuff like this. He's saying your identity is this. It's not just uh, taking things up that just kind of stink. It is voluntarily taking up your cross. It's actually this choice. It's this choice that each one of you has to make. It's not forced upon you. Matter of fact, verse 35 makes it clear. We do it out of what? Loyalty to Jesus. We do it out of loyalty to Jesus because he is our master. He is our Lord. He is our King. He is our Savior. So we get to do this. We set our lives in the right positioning. He is Lord. He is Lord. So we deny ourselves. We, we instead take on the identity of the cross. Part of following Jesus is saying no to selfish interests and earthly securities. I wish it was different, but that's part of this following the Christ. We turn away from our actual idol, which our actual idol is self-centeredness. Making choices that are like Jesus is supplement. And Jesus is saying, you guys got to be prepared for what is about to come. Guys, I can send some artificial intelligent videos if I want to really freak you guys out. (laughs) We have to be prepared. And Jesus is saying, this is why many people are going to fall off, actually. This line is why many people are going to fall off. This next generation, this is why many of you will, many of the people in your generation will fall off. 
This is the hard thing. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to call the crowd and I'm going to actually say this. I am the King of Kings. I am the Lord of Lords. I am going to suffer. And here's the thing. You join me in my suffering. You join me in my suffering. Verse 35, for my sake and for the sake of the gospel is why we do it. I, uh, I want to say this, that there's, there's significance to this, and I drilled it, drilled it down. There's five uh, people that are getting baptized. I really, I, I know that it's sunny and it's beautiful out, and I know that everyone has plans. Um, but if you can, I really do want you to head over to American Lake and watch these guys get baptized because what they're doing is this. They're saying, Jesus, is, I am loyal to you. I'm willing to do anything to follow you. I am dying to myself and I'm renewed in new life. And here's the promise of new life. I'm going to get joy and I'm going to get salvation. I'm going to get peace. But at the same time, I'm willing to do anything for you. You are the Lord of my life. And so I lay down every self-interest and every self-centeredness and everything that doesn't look like you. And that's what we got to be as a church. It's a public expression of loyalty. So how do we prepare ourselves for this? Because, again, this is one of those sermons that's like, man, it's really hard to preach because the truth is there, but it's calling you to a deeper and harder life. Okay? So how do we do this? You know, the natural way of reading this is I'm going to start doing right? There's, there's language of, I'm going to pick up my cross. There is a readiness that I'm ready to do this. Now, one of the challenges with this is that it's, it can be like this battle cry, but think about this, Peter and the disciples, how do they know who Jesus is? How, how do they really know who Jesus is? They're walking alongside Jesus. They're hearing from Jesus. They're learning from Jesus. Jesus is preparing them for these hard conversations that he's having. One of the challenges that we have is that are we able to answer this, who do you say I am? And we might answer this out of doing for Jesus and not ever really being with Jesus. The only way to answer this question is who do you say I am is by being with Jesus, being with Jesus, being absorbed with Jesus, knowing who Jesus is, knowing what Jesus is doing, know how Jesus speaks to you. It's being in relationship, not doing. And one of the challenges is, is this, there's this active language to this. And so you think that you can take up your cross, you think that you can power it, but it's being and not doing. We have to be with Jesus. Because Jesus is talking about an upside-down kingdom. When we are not being with Jesus, we can begin to be influenced by what the world says about Jesus or the false narratives that we have in our heads about Jesus. That Jesus is a supplement. That Jesus is a genie in the bottle. That Jesus is health, wealth, and prosperity only. That Jesus is whatever, fill in the blank. We can be with a false Jesus and not with the real Jesus. Not time in prayer saying, Lord, I'm going to sit in silence and speak to me. Not being in time of our word where we're just eating up and being with Jesus, spending as much time with him. Uh, I was at this silent retreat and one of my buddies were there and he was teaching. That's why I was there. So there was some teaching involved, which was great. But one of the things that he talked about is, you know, um, 
in uh, counterfeiting, I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, when they're teaching people in the Department of Treasury how to tell uh, false money from real money, they don't ever let them touch the false money. They only let them touch real money. So they know so well what real money feels like, smells like, maybe even tastes like, that once they get out into the real world and they touch fake money, they don't even know why it's fake and false, but they know that it's not the real thing. One of the challenges is we are living, some of us, with false narratives about who Jesus is. We have been sitting and learning and living in a false Jesus, and he's saying, be with the real Jesus. You have to understand, I came and suffered, I came and died, and if we're not with the real Jesus, then we won't know what it takes to take up our cross, because the real Jesus is worth every single self-denial and self uh, building up who Christ wants us to be. But if we spend time in the false stuff, we actually don't get better at the false stuff. We think the false stuff becomes real. Following Jesus affects you. That's the biggest point. Like if you came in this door with like wanting Jesus not to be complete Lord of your life, then you're living a false narrative. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he suffered and died for you, and now he's calling us to the same. One of the challenges is I, this was a two-day silent retreat, and I did one day, and I tapped out. I was like, dude, you all are nuts. I can't even be with Jesus for, you know, more than 24 hours. Joking, Jesus. It's a real challenge. And in a world of noise, in a world where we want miracle over suffering, in a world where we want fast food over farming, in a world where we want, uh, I'm not going to worry about things. I want to just let it off my plate. Jesus is calling us to a way, way deeper life. And he's preparing us for this. Who is Jesus to you? Everyone will have an answer for themselves, but here's my hope. How does Jesus, how do we begin discipling people around this? Uh, I think it's really important that we understand this, that we come together as a community, as a redeemed church, and we, we practice these things, that we are people who every day, every hour, to the minute, are willing to lay down anything for Jesus, that we're willing to take up our cross any area that he desires us to do, any area that we have chosen our own self-interest over him, that we would deny it and we would deny ourselves of that, that we would look like the real Jesus so profoundly that when people come in, they like, I tasted the real thing instead of counterfeit. Because one of the challenges is I want everyone, and some people won't, but everyone that walks through this door to be so prepared for the next generation and we will not be prepared for the next generation. We will not be prepared for things to come. We will not be prepared for the way that the world is going to be if we desire supplemental Jesus rather than who Jesus really is. Because the times are not going to get easier. They're just not. And I feel like I'm just like... We're a group that's knit together in love. 
we're going to have to be there for one another. And when someone comes into this place, we are going to have to teach them at warp speed who the real Jesus is, who Jesus is, who the world's going to say he is, who you're going to say he is, who it really means and what it really means and how it's going to affect you. Because we have to prepare people to take up their cross. We, have, we actually find our identity in Christ's suffering. Philippians, you can come on up, Jay. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of what? His sufferings, being conformed to his death. And it's actually really interesting because we become unified as a body through this as well. If one part suffers, all, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each of you is a part of it. Jesus is so much more than the world thinks. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our King. Jesus is our Savior. But the question comes to you. Who is Jesus in your life? What positioning is he in your life? Do we really understand what it means? Are we being overdoing for Jesus? Are we just being with Jesus so that we're prepared at any given time to take up our cross? And are we willing to be loyal to the hard things that this faith is going to bring? So go ahead and stand up. I'm going to pray for each one of us. The worship band's gonna come sing one last song. But let me pray for each person here. Lord, that this truth would set in each one of our hearts, mine first. I need this word. Lord, I need the truth that your church will not be stopped. I need your truth that as you walk to the literal to the gates of Hades, that you're saying no evil. Not even death will overcome the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, we receive that truth. And Lord, I pray right now over a redeemed church, Lord, that you would bring to us a fire, a fire that we need, Lord, to spread your gospel in this community, a fire that we need to take up our cross every day. And Lord, anyone that's having a hard time with that, Lord, that we would lay down our lives. And Lord, I pray in particular for the five people that are being baptized today, Lord, as we come together as a community to celebrate their new life in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would watch over them, Lord, that they would know what it means to be loyal to you, to, for you to be their, their master, Lord, to be Lord over their lives. Lord, when tough things come, Lord, that they would be so centered in you, that they would be so uh, in love with you, Lord, that it wouldn't be that hard. And that actually together as one part suffers, many suffer. So as we come together and we disciple along, uh, along each one of these young people, Lord, that we would be prepared to build them up to the man and woman that they were meant to be in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, anybody that's, that's challenged, I know many people at work and have different situations where they feel a, a, a burden of carrying the cross right now. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would realize that you are right there with them. And Lord, that actually in our sufferings, we come closer to you. Lord, we praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.